Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. For just a few moments, I want to share with you from the Word of God just a few things uh, that are on my heart that we've talked about Christmas for the last month. I've preached a series of Unwrapping Christmas, and I hope that you've gained some insight into the Christmas story. It's so, it's so talked about, it's so um, familiar with us, that it's easy for us to look at a nativity uh, scene and not really catch the meaning. And I know that you've heard the sermon, The Reason for the Season, and you've heard that Jesus is the, is, is the reason for the season. You've heard over and over what this means and what that means. And today, I just want you to see something that maybe you've missed in Christmas. I'm going to just talk about every group that was there at that little nativity that uh, was set in Bethlehem so long ago. Um, I want it to be familiar with you, not in that it becomes old hat. I want it to be familiar with you in that it's not something that's so far away and so ancient and so out of date that it doesn't resonate with your heart. Because the reason why Jesus came... The reason why God gave His Son was that so you and I could be free. He didn't come so that we could have a holiday. That's not what He came for. He came so that our sin could be forgiven. So that we would be renewed from the inside out. Not so we would have to go buy presents and put up trees and string lights and go to Walmart. He came at Christmas because He was actually looking for Easter. To really put it in that manner. He came to die for us. And that's exactly, my friends, what He did. But if you consider the nativity scene, you'll notice that it's only found in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. You don't find it anywhere else. As a matter of fact, all of the other 25 books of the New Testament, they don't deal with the Christmas story, but they do deal with the cross. They do deal with the payment that Jesus made for our sin. And so that just tells me that the reason why Jesus came was to die for us. And we thankfully celebrate the moment that He did come. But Matthew and Luke, they make some extraordinary points and they describe the story in the nativity scene. I just want, I want to ask you, do you see what I see when I look at that? One of the things that you see is you notice the magi or the, the wise men and the star. The wise men and the star, we know that it was set at the nativity uh, was probably a couple of years after. So they didn't show up the night Jesus was born. It was a couple of years later. But it's easy to celebrate the wise men in the nativity because we know that that happened rather than trying to celebrate it at a different event. We know that they came. And the, there's something unique. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time the king Herod, Magi from the east came from came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw His star in the east, and we have come to worship Him. You know, we've romanticized the Magi and the wise men into being something that they really are not. These men were Easterners. They were astrologers. They were uh, from a land around Babylon. They they were pagan. They, They had... All of these pagan traditions, we have romanticized them into thinking that they were, they were God followers. Let me tell you something. They were, they were most likely they Baal worshipers. They, they, they came from that part of the world 
that where uh, it was pagan idolatry that occurred. But something special happened to these men. It says we saw His star. Not a star in studying the skies of the night. We saw His star. You know, something that I want you to see is that the wise men and the star, they show us and they teach us that we have a God who pursues us. I'm so thankful that God pursued me. That He didn't wait for me to pursue Him. Because not only do we have a God who goes after us, but we got who, who are close to Him, but we have a God who goes after people who are far away from Him. Aren't you thankful for that? Some of you were far away from God when He began to pursue you. And at some moment, you probably didn't see a star in the sky, but you saw something. You saw something in your life, and then you saw the love of heaven shining bright upon your life. And you saw the forgiveness that could be had, and you saw hope, and you saw joy, and you saw peace, and you saw those things, and He was pursuing you that whole time. Because God pursues us. God even pursued pagan magi in a far distant country. There are three things to remember about this God who pursues us when it connects to a Christmas story. First of all, it reminds us that we're all at one time God's enemies. All of us, every person in this room, that's why we can be family is because we all started in really the same spot. We were out on the outs with God. We were without Him. You see, we know for a fact that nobody seeks God. Left to your own devices, you would never you would never know Him. Whether you come from a Reformed tradition or an Armenian tradition, everybody agrees to the fact that God is the one who pursues us initially. It doesn't matter what you think about when you think about God. He is the first one who pursues us. And, and, and any Christian who looks down on others who seem to be so far away from the Lord, they've forgotten actually where they came from. Some of us need to be reminded when we look at people who don't know Him of where we were when He found us. If you were to look at your life, all of the moments where you were running from Him, some of you, you might have been in jail. Some of you, you might have have crossed off the church. You might have walked out on God and walked out on your family, walked out on everything but you find yourself here today. You know what I can say? The fingerprints of God are all over your life because He's been pursuing you the entire time. Isaiah chapter 65 speaks to this, and he says in verse 1, he says, I revealed myself, the Lord said, to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was to a nation that did not call on my name. Boy, that's talking about America to me. I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. This is the God who pursues us. He pursued the wise men. He pursues us. He pursues America today in the degenerate state that it finds itself in where no one is calling upon God except for just a select few, a remnant of God's people. And yet he says, here I am holding out his hands. And if you're here today, I want you to know God is holding his hands out to you. He is pursuing you. 
even on this Christmas Eve in 2023. He also helps us to see when we look at the wise men is that God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, who, God who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't prefer to get rid of all the bad people. That's not His goal. That's not why He came. Jesus didn't come to just judge the sinner. He came to save the sinner. In the book of Revelation, there is a story we hear in Revelation chapter 3. It's about the church in Laodicea. We, we know that if you've been around church very long, you know this story. And it's very familiar because one of the verses talks about and describes this church. He says, I know your deeds. I know that you're not hot or cold. I know that you're neither one or the other. So it's like lukewarm, right? I know that you are neither hot or cold. You are lukewarm. What do you like to do with lukewarm coffee? Some of you like cold coffee, and that's okay if you've got ice in it. But if there's no ice in it, it's just cold, and it's no good. Lukewarm coffee is about the same. It's just no, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not what coffee's meant to be. And so what do you do? You spit it out. You pour it out. You get rid of it. And the Lord says, I see you, church. Some of you are cold. Some of you are hot. But you're, you're neither one of those. You're, you're lukewarm. And I want you to notice this verse, the verse that we like to quote a lot. Verse 16 says, So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, you know, that that gives me a little bit of, of pause because that's exactly what that word means. You know, as soon as we stray from the Lord, God doesn't just kick you to the curb. I'm about to. I've been teased quite a bit. One of the girls that used to lead worship for us, her and her husband have moved since, but she would pick up some of my euphemisms. And she wasn't raised in the country like I was. And I use words like about to and fixing to. Anybody about to fixing to do something? You're fixing to. When I say I'm fixing to, that doesn't mean that I've done it, and that doesn't mean that it's going to happen right now. It means that I'm fixing to. I'm fixing to spit you, which means that there is patience. God's not wanting anyone to not know Him. He has patience. He has grace. Let me tell you, there may be someone here, you're thinking, man, it's Christmas Eve. I'm in this church service. God's patient with you. He's still waiting on you because in that same passage, He says, I, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And my, my encouragement to you is, would you listen close enough to hear the knock at the door? Because that is Him pursuing you like He pursued the wise men. He pursues us. The shepherds. We glamorize the shepherds too because, you know, they're just these guys that see angels. I mean, who gets a chance to do that? But you know what the shepherds remind me of? 
The shepherds show me that we have a God who cares for the least of us. Shepherds were on the bottom of the economic food chain. They spent their lives on the hills of Judea, climbing up and down rocky hills and rocky paths. Matter of fact, shepherds in that day were not even allowed to testify in court because they didn't think that they had enough legitimacy to even carry the truth. And so that's why when you see people seeing the shepherds that carry the message that Jesus has been born, they were shocked that the angels would even appear to such people. They were so low. They were so small, so insignificant, and yet God chose the least. I'm so thankful that God only pursues us, but God chooses and cares for the least of us, like the shepherds. Several years ago, there was a group that came uh, and they wanted to help us get us to help start a, a ministry in one of the high schools. And I will never forget what one of the leaders told me. He said, look, he said, here's, here's how our, our ministry plan goes. What we are going to target in these high schools, we're going to target the most popular, the most influential kids. We're going to target those like the jocks, the ones that everybody knows, the ones who are the most visible, the ones who, 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 who catch the most attention because if we can get them, then everybody else will fall. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, that's exactly opposite to what happened when Jesus came. Jesus could have been born. He, he could have been born in Herod's palace. He could have been born in Rome. And God could have said, you know, if I can get Caesar or Herod to follow me, then everybody else will just join in. But that's exactly opposite of what he did. Every great revival that's ever happened in the history of America has always started with the common folk, with the regular people. I'm excited when people like Justin Bieber gets on TV and says, Hey, I found Jesus. I'm excited. A couple of years ago when, uh, what's his name? Kim Kardashian's... Kanye. Kanye. When Kanye comes, Oh, I found Jesus. Hey, that's great. Praise God. I hope it's legit. I heard Oprah was pursuing the Lord. Praise God. That's... Fantastic. But can I ask the question? Why didn't God make it a point to start there? He chose the common people. He chose the shepherds. He chose the Jews instead of the Egyptians. He chose the apostles who were unschooled instead of the scholars and the experts of the law. He chose Joseph and Mary, a young, poor couple from a podunk town. He didn't choose somebody from the Metroplex who was all over TV and who was an influencer on Twitter or X or Instagram or whatever. He chose nobodies to deliver the greatest message. Why did he do that? It's because I believe God cares so much for the least because there's a whole lot more least in the world than there are Elites in the world. There are no little people in God's kingdom. 
And that's what we get confused about. Do you see that? Do you see the stable? You see, when you look at the stable, the stable signifies something that's incredible. It shows me that God understands our pain. In Luke chapter 4, I'm not going to read it for time, or like chapter 2, the Bible says that it came time for the baby to be born, and Joseph couldn't even find a suitable place for his pregnant wife to go. Now, I don't know about you guys, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, that's pretty discouraging when you can't even care for your own family. That's disheartening. When you can't provide for just basic needs. And so therefore Jesus was, was born in a stable, in a barn, in a cattle stall. He wasn't raised in wealth. He wasn't born in wealth. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 53, we were familiar with, but it says that he is a man of sorrows. He understood our pain. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't voted most likely to succeed. He didn't get valedictorian or a D1 scholarship. Jesus was born in low circumstances. He can identify with us. You see, Satan likes to make us believe that God doesn't care and that God doesn't understand your pain, that God doesn't know what you're going through, or God doesn't see the hurt, what's going on in your own, in your own heart, and the, the people who have betrayed you, and those who have walked out on you, and those who have disappointed you to such an extent, or, or God doesn't see the grief that you deal with when you've lo- lost a loved one or a family member. God doesn't see the, the, the discouragement that you, that you see when you, when financially you just never can seem to come up with, oh, but friend, He does. Because that stable reminds us that he understands. Because that's where he was born. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we have a great high priest. He's gone, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and let us hold firmly. Because this high priest, it says in verse 15, We don't have one who is unable to to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He did it right. He did life right. Even through the worst part of life, Jesus did it right. I don't know what you're going through today on this Christmas Eve. I don't know what thoughts you entered, entered with you as you walked into this church service. I don't know what you're thinking through right now, but I can tell you this. Our God understands your pain. He understands your hurt. He understands your disappointment, your discouragement, your grief, your sorrow. Why the stable? Because it shows us that He knows the pain. Well, in that stable there was a manger. A manger. We saw it last week. It was the cattle trough where they laid the baby. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, And they placed him in a manger. If you were to find a piece of that manger today, just a small chunk of it, a piece of wood, and you were to put that on eBay, and it could be verified, original, Manger, a fit, original piece of trough where Jesus was laid. How many billions of dollars would that be worth? Right? 
But at that moment, what was it worth? Nothing. You see what the manger tells me? The manger tells me is that we have a God who can transform trash and turn it into treasure. Because today, that would be worth a lot. The original manger. God can transform our lives. He can transform parts of us. He can find things that, are, that have no value and He can turn it into incredible treasure. You know what? That's the message of Christianity. That's the message that Jesus came. He came to say this, that all things can become new. Yes, that doesn't mean that He removes all the consequences of our actions, but He does remove the consequences of our sin. And He can take what is worthless and He can turn it into something incredibly valuable. That is who Jesus is. That's what He came to do. First John chapter 2 says that He is our advocate. He's along with our advocate. He's our judge. He's our lawyer. He is the one who stands with us. Why? Because He knows that no matter how far we have been from Him or how bad we have been, He can transform us into something that's beautiful. The devil tries to tell you all the time that he knows that you are what you have done. But Jesus comes with his message and he says, you are what you become in me. That's the reality of what your identity is. You are not the sum of your past failures. You are the sum of your future grace in Christ Jesus. I close with this. Sherilyn, if you would come. Wise men get pursued by God. God comes to the least of the shepherds. He understands our pain because He showed up in a stable. He transforms trash into treasure when He used a manger. But finally, when you look at the, the baby, why in the world would God have chosen this way? I don't know why Christmas has always been really more popular than Easter. I think it's because Christmas is a picture of a cute baby that needs our love and our care. And Easter is the picture of a Redeemer who needs us to follow Him. And there's a big difference. Jesus came as this baby. But He was really a king. He came as a king to be worshipped. Not as a child to be cared for. My question to you today is, who's in your manger Is it a baby or a king? Is there a king that deserves your worship? Is there a king that should be followed? Not some nostalgic, romanticized little story of a baby in a manger and wise men. That gets gets real familiar really quick. My question is, how familiar are you with the king that needs to be followed, that's calling you, that's pursuing you, 
that's helping you, that has his hand placed upon you. You see, Jesus' phrase, favorite phrase was not have a nice day, it was come follow me. He didn't say, hey, Merry Christmas. That wasn't Jesus' greatest term that he coined when he came. His greatest term was, come follow me. And that is what we have to see at Christmas. We have to see a king who is deserving of our worship. Not some cute little story, but a king who deserves our worship. He's not my inspiration. As some have sang, he is my king. He is my hope. He is my joy. The Christmas story is not about something that happened a long time ago. The Christmas story is about the coming of Christ who was destined for the cross. And today as we celebrate the table of the Lord, that's what I want you to be reminded of today. Is that Christmas is the beginning celebration of Easter where your debt gets paid, my debt gets paid because our Savior came and died and rose again. And He's alive today. He's not a baby in a manger. He is a risen Savior. The one who came and did what He was set out to do. He came. He is our King and our Savior. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.